Hello and welcome back to New Paradigm Healing. This series focuses on ayahuasca-assisted therapy. Our intention is to educate, inform, and support the conscious and responsible use of ayahuasca in the Western context. If you want to know more about ayahuasca-assisted therapy and our upcoming trainings and workshops, sign up for our mailing list to be the first one to know about the latest news at avatarhealingarts.com. Hello and welcome to our audience. This is uh, my podcast, Ayahuasca Assisted Therapy. My name is Nina Itzel and welcome back to this episode. And I'm so excited today to, to be here with Larry Norris, who is uh, from the Criminalized Nature. And we just, uh, you know, this is the first time actually we kind of face-to-face -face meeting, but I came across with his work and I really, you know, resonate with the message that he's standing for. So I'm excited to, to share about this topic with you today. So so we're going to just dive in and uh, have an exciting conversation. So welcome, Larry, uh, welcome Larry and, and so good to have you here. I appreciate that you made the time. And uh, this is my first time meeting you as well. So I just, I just want to give it over to you to, to introduce yourself and to tell us a little bit about your background and how did you come across with the plants and with this work, this awesome work that you are doing today. Well, thank you, Nina. Appreciate it. Really nice to be here and uh, have a nice little conversation with you earlier. Um, yeah, I mean, um, we're in this very, we're in the shifting zeitgeist right now, right? Things are moving from one space to the other. I think people feel that they're, they're sort of sensing that, but it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, the end, or not the end result, obviously, but this is, you know, a lot of work that got us here and then including for myself as well, the, the process that I went through over my life, just to be in the space now where I really understand some of the, the nuances and some of the subtleties and some of the important things that really, um, you know, when we talk about decrim nature, we talk a lot about, you know, sovereign relationship to nature, uh, the self-agency of the healing process, all these different types of things, you know, and, and so we're in this sort of juxtaposition right now where there's a lot of authority that's telling us what to do. And then there's this about uh, this opportunity to heal by ourselves or heal within community or heal within, um, you know, with plant medicines and things like that, which is kind of a different framework than the pharmaceutical companies and things like that. So we're seeing this really interesting sort of uh, shift right now between these different perspectives. And it's really exciting to be kind of on the, um, the you know, sort of the, the, uh, the, I don't, want to, I don't want to say paving the way is always such a horrible uh, nature term <laughs> because you don't want to say that right but but planting the garden with the rest stewarding the garden with the rest of us right now so uh, my process has been kind of the same thing you know i studied um i went to the university of michigan from 94 to 98 uh, i was very interested at the time with uh, biopsychology and cognitive science so it was that was what it was called before neuroscience um at the same exact time i was also exploring mushroom experiences and here i was in class learning about how the neurons affect the brain. And here I was in my experiences learning about how mushrooms affect the brain. <laughs> I realized that they weren't talking about this in my classes. It was just very much mechanistic. It was very much drugs of abuse is very much sort of a, an approach that was like kind of othering some of these medicines and things like that. And yet I was having these experiences where, and also that consciousness exists in the brain only. Right. And then I'm having these mushroom experiences where we're swimming in consciousness, you know, where everything is alive. And it was such a, a dramatic shift. And uh, at the same time, uh, part of that research involved animal studies. And so imagine having mushroom experiences where you're all connected to one and the next morning waking up and having to you know, torture animals, you know, which really was what it was because you're putting them through these studies and things like that. And I was working with rats. After that, I've been working with monkeys. And it was kind of one of those things where I was like, oh, you know, had this sort of, you know, you know, explosion of like, what am I doing with my life? You know, <laughs> like, I'm really going to have to spend the rest of my life doing this to animals. And so I had this really, um, this moment of sort of, uh, you know, self-reflection of like really trying to figure out, okay, is this really where I want to go? Uh, I was lucky to have one professor along the way for my evolution class uh, that was like, you know, you can really write about any topic you want. Um, and not a lot of the other professors were open to the idea of talking about antigens or psychedelics in you know, the mid nineties. Uh, you know, I think only Strassman studies with DMT was about the only thing that was happening in the nineties at that point in time. And most of the other research was pretty stigmatized. Um, but luckily he, he allowed me to write this paper. So I started looking at like, oh, the potential, um, the potential evolution of consciousness through the accidental ingestion of plant medicines that occurred in, in the environment. And I wrote this paper and, you know, we had some back and forth and I didn't get the best grade because I was dealing with a controversial topic, but that's another <laughs> story, right? Um, but I showed it to my roommate 
And I was still kind of new to this. I had a lot of personal experiences, but I hadn't dove in yet to some of the, the more philosophical or some of the more uh, spiritual kind of texts or the things that people were writing about or talking about in this area. And he's like, this looks a lot like some of the writings that Terrence McKenna has written about. Have you heard of Terrence McKenna and, you know, this, his idea of the, the stone date theory, if you will, yeah. right, that, that our ancestry came along and came across mushrooms on the plains of Africa. And then um, through this process, you know, the more sensitive, the people that were more sensitive were able to build community, were able to hunt better, were able to communicate better. Uh, so it was really uh, fascinating that kind of like put me in a whole other different direction, realizing, oh, I don't have to go to neuroscience, which wasn't showing me anything about the inner experience. There's a whole other area that I could look into kind of explore this so uh that kind of set me in a good path i graduated in 98 i decided to take a nice long road trip and kind of figure myself out um <laughs> you know i uh, went actually maps multidisciplinary association of psychedelic studies in charlotte north carolina at the time it was a very small office it was just in the beginning stages files stacked up you know i was like hey you know i'd like to do graduate school are there other professors that are doing this research and so they give me a whole list of professors so i did about a 10,000 mile road trip around the u.s talking mm -hmm. to professors, talking to different people, like, is this possible? Is this something that we can do? And everyone was like, oh, well, I'm doing that research, but kind of hiding it. This is, I'm doing biofeedback research, or I'm doing this other type of research or that, you know, so like there's a front type of research that everyone's doing and they weren't actually getting into sort of the plant medicine research. So I was like, well, I'd like to be really kind of explicit with what I'm doing and not have to hide it behind do two projects at the same time because one mm. of them is stigmatized. Uh, so I took a little sabbatical. I moved to Hawaii for about 11 years, mm. um, which was nice, you know, good, good shift. I was from uh, Detroit area, originally metro Detroit area. So it was a nice shift to be kind of in nature, be in the water, dolphins and whales and, you know, sort of waterfalls and, uh, you know, craters, volcano craters, all that good stuff. Uh, along this time, I came across ayahuasca. Um, ayahuasca for me was a totally different experience than mushrooms. Um, for me, mushrooms, yeah, now my mushroom experiences are, are kind of like the ayahuasca. It's like the mushroom knows. It's really interesting. I always think the mushroom knows where your edges are. And then ayahuasca pushes those edges far out. And so now the mushrooms are like, oh, you know about these edges. Well, let's go farther out then. So now it's like, <laughs> mushroom experience can be kind of a little bit like ayahuasca to some degree. But um, but ayahuasca really, um, for me, um, helped me understand the idea when people would talk about plant teacher, plant guide, or or the wisdom of another plant consciousness. And I think that was so important for me because it took me out of my mindset of, oh, this is just all for me, but it took me in a, a, a relational, a conversational Mm -hmm. uh, dynamic where healing is is working with myself and these plant medicines and these plant consciousness and the wisdom that can and then when you're having that dialogue it's much more easy to you know be okay with if you fail you know but also have someone there if you you know have something there that you can kind of in interact with so um so i i, I explored started exploring ayahuasca around 2000 um through that process i became very 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 interested in this uh, i decided i want to go back to school at that point in time, there was only really one school that was long explicit research of this, which was um, California Institute of Control Studies. Obviously, this has changed now. There's you know psychedelic research centers that are opening up all over the place. Uh, but at that point in time, and you know, those research centers are also that are opening now are more clinical based or these types of things, medical based. Whereas this is really about phenomenology, about inner experience, about qualitative research, about transpersonal psychology, which you were discussing earlier, which was like really what's the what's the psychology above and beyond sort of our own sort of mental state. And so uh, in 2009, I went there to start studying. Um, I was working with uh, Luis Eduardo Luna, who's a, um, you know, ayahuasca or well, he's an anthropologist that works with ayahuasca down in southern Brazil. I've been doing a lot of great work for a really long time. Um, so I worked with a database that he had of a bunch of experiences, and I, I chose to uh, write my dissertation uh, looking at uh, ayahuasca experiences and integration. How do people make meaning of these experiences? Uh, what types of experiences? What are the themes of these experiences? And um, really just because I, I noticed, um, sort of or backtrack a little bit, uh, in, my, in the process of my schooling, I also started up an organization which started as a student group, which is now a nonprofit called Eugenic Research Integration Education. And so we were having a lot of conversations, doing peer integration circles, bringing people together in community, because we saw a lot of people that felt isolated or alienated from their experiences. And they didn't feel comfortable going to a therapist to talk about it because a therapist has the, the power of diagnosis. So yeah, you can talk to the therapist about how, okay, I'm having this relational issue in my life, but 
if all of a sudden you're talking about multi-dimensional realms <laughs> or you know entities like you know, getting surgery on your brain and then like, moving into these other spaces like you know that's that's a, a little concerning for some folks because they don't know what is that going to leave on my record right and so people were like we still want to share about these experiences but we don't feel confident and comfortable really going to these other sort of more westernized versions of healing and so we started these peer integration circles for people to share and that was really beautiful but what i noticed through that process is a lot of people you know, thought, oh, well, this is all supposed to be this type of experience. This is what Johns Hopkins or NYU is talking about the experiences. Why are my experiences different? And, you know, there's, you know, like it's supposed to be positive and blissful. I had a really challenging experience or I had an experience that was um, a little bit more dynamic than that. Where do I go to talk about that? Am I doing something wrong? And so uh, what oftentimes would happen is you have a bunch of people come in the circle and it's amazing coincidences. Oftentimes people will be started doing, you know, coming to a circle and certain themes would pop up. And it's like everyone that came there that night wanted to talk about a particular theme. <laughs> why that happens, I don't know, but it's always fascinating to me because it's like, you know, the plants are speaking in the community with us, right? So so that was really beautiful. Um, and then that sort of also inspired my dissertation to kind of look at what are the different themes? What are the different ways that people are working with? How can we expand the concept of integration outside of just psychotherapy? Or if you look even like, you know, Compass Pathways and some of these pharmaceutical companies are talking about doing artificial intelligence integration, which is... Wow. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, that's a little bit, you know, I mean, without being too, you know, pessimistic, that seems a little strange to me, you know, because it's like part of working with the plants is learning what it's like to be human. And mm -hmm. now you're going to have a machine try and help you with that experience. And it seems mm -hmm. a little bit off base. So, so how do we expand the concept of integration outside of psychotherapy to include body work, to include art therapy, to include other modalities that aren't necessarily spoken about because a lot of the things that we're feeling and, and like sensing these experiences are beyond words or they're, they're ineffable experiences. And so sometimes you just got to stumble over the wording. And that's another thing about the integration circles that are so beautiful is like watching new language emerge because we don't have a term for something that's between two spaces or that's multidimensional mm -hmm. or that's entities or that's spiritual realms or things like that. So people are just trying to like, you know, figure it out through conversation. And that's really beautiful because I think as we move forward, we're going to learn a lot, a lot of new things once we get that language honed in to really be able to talk about our experiences on a deep level. Um, after about uh, 10 years of doing that work with Erie and just finishing my dissertation about a year ago, a year and a half ago, um, actually, yeah, but maybe almost two years now. Oh, well, it's the time frame of the COVID space, right? It's all fuzzy. Um, I came across uh, a group in Oakland. And we started, we were actually came there originally to talk about um, building a conscious community. Uh, during that conversation, we started talking about, oh, there's some, some legislation happening in Denver. There's some legislation happening in Oregon. Um, you know, most of those, the Denver one was to decriminalize mushrooms. The Oregon one was to legalize psilocybin therapy, which we can discuss later, the difference between decriminalization and legalization. Um, but we were like, well, hey, we're in the Bay Area. Why are we only going to, that's not... If we're gonna if we're gonna do something like this, because everyone's like, hey, can we do this here in Oakland? Yes, we possibly can. And uh, Carlos, who's the chair of Decriminalized Nature, had worked on the Oakland um, City Council at one point in time as a staff member, so he, you know, chief of staff, so he was familiar with the process. So we're like, oh wait, we have the right people in the room right here. Why can't we do this here in Oakland, right? And the conversation came up: should we only stick with mushrooms? Should we have a bigger conversation? And I think, you know, the benefit of being in the Bay Area is that there is the ayahuasca community, there is the Ibogaine community, or the community, there is the DMT community, there is the mushroom community, there is the cacti community, they're all there. So why were we going to segregate everyone out and do the one at a time? Let's have a conversation about nature. <laughs> right? Because we're not talking about mushrooms, which is really easy for somebody to say, oh, you're just trying, you know, the people who are detractors, you're just trying to get high. Right? But what if we shift that conversation to, we have an unalienable right, unalienable right to have our own relationship with nature. We have the opportunity to heal with nature. What is our distance and our, our sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, removal from nature? And how is this affecting our mental health? You know, how is our removal from the sacred? How is the removal from the community and ourselves? How is that affecting mental health? So we really shifted the conversation a little bit from it just being kind of a quote unquote conversation about drugs, which some people will say, to really a conversation <laughs> about nature. And, you know, that also allowed us to be, uh, have self-agency and sovereignty over our own healing process. So it's not, we have to depend on a pharmaceutical company to create something for us. We can grow mushrooms, we can grow other plants, you know, and we can have them in community and we can learn together in community. And that's one thing too, that over the course of this time, I think it's like, you know, people talk about, oh, the risks and all that type of thing. People also have to understand that we're recreating a culture 
that has been oppressed for such a long time, at least in the West. And it's going to take a little bit of time to rebuild that culture, to really understand again, how do we educate each other? How do we do this in a good way? How do we connect with each other that in a way that um, that, that works, that's safe and responsible and, and that's reverent to the experiences and that sees as a sacred and that type of thing. So that's going to take a little bit of time, but you know, that's part of the process. And that's what's been really beautiful about uh, the decriminalized nature movement is now we're spreading in cities across the US. So we passed in Oakland in 2019, so it's a little over two years now. Um, no, no reports of emergencies or concerns or, you know, in fact, there's lots of anecdotal reports of healing. I think there's some estimate that probably 5,000 people now in Oakland are learning how to grow their own mushrooms, which is fantastic, you know, so bringing that to the people, making sure that the community, you know, how the mushroom grows, you can pray over it if you want, you can sing songs to them if you want, you can do all those different types of things. It's not coming from somebody who's got sort of a um, you know, monetary mindset. They're trying to sell you something and then that kind of kind of an effect or influence maybe what the mushroom experience is, but it's about personal being able to grow it. So uh, Oakland, then we passed in Santa Cruz, we passed in Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, Washtenaw County, which is the county around Michigan, decided to expand that decriminalization for the entire county. Um, Washington, D.C. passed with a 76% voter approval, which is pretty impressive wow. in terms of, you know, voter approval. Usually it's about, you know, 50 or 60%, but 76% really stated that, hey, you can see that the importance of these medicines, you know, the question of why is nature criminalized anyway, you know, we can eat as many poisonous mushrooms as we want, nobody arrests us. So safety issue, there's no there's no law against that, right? So why are these specific um, substances and materials as entheogens considered illegal, right? So, so that's been great. And then since 2021, there's been three cities in Massachusetts that have passed some uh, similar policy with the help of another organization based staters. Um, and uh, now we've been working with um, statewide legislation in Michigan and statewide legislation in Vermont. There's about 40 cities across the U.S. that are working on policy. I just got off a conversation with Arcata, California a little bit ago. Uh, they were hopefully going to be passing by October 6th. Um, uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan is hopefully going to be passing pretty soon and maybe one more city. So hopefully three more cities before the end of the year and a couple other places as well. So it's really exciting. Like I said, this movement is really empowering. We're really, our, our goal is decriminalized nature is to um, empower local leadership. So we don't have to be the ones that are doing it. We're trying to avoid the top-down control model, but really the bottom-up emergence model because so many new things can come when people are allowed to really sort of engage in their community. And I can't say, hey, this is how you need to do it in Ann Arbor because Ann Arbor community is already there. So just we're basically, um, you know, we really see decriminalization as a risk reduction strategy. We can kind of remove some of those barriers of risk or stigma and then allow that community to naturally emerge from there. And so from that, we're going to see a lot of new insights on how to sort of work with the medicines, on, on how to engage with the medicines, how to grow the medicines and things like that. Uh, but it's been a really beautiful story. And you know, at the end of the day, too, it's like, you know, for myself, I was very disillusioned with the government process. You know, they don't work, you know, the, we can't do anything, you know, especially on the federal level, it seems like it's so far out of reach for us, right? But really giving people the tools in all these different cities to learn how to engage with their city council, to realize that there's an idea of direct democracy, realize that the city council members are members of the community and that they work for us. And that's that's another thing that I think people forget. It's like, wait a second, the government is, is works for us, not the other way around, right? Mm -hmm. so how do we engage with them? How do we communicate that with them in a way to pass things that are really important? And so, in uh, almost every one of these communities, it's been really beautiful to see new people stepping up, um, doing things that sort of they haven't really, you know, done before and, uh, and, and, you know, passing things that are actually making serious change happen in the world. And this conversation is now happening in a way where people are now hearing from their elected officials that these medicines can be healing for both mental health, but also personal and spiritual growth, um, you know, and that, uh, that they have, you know, the right to be able to engage with these practices if they so choose. So uh, it's been a really beautiful journey, but uh, here we are today and meet you and, and Clubhouse and have this great conversation, I think has been really beautiful. And um, yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. Lots, lots of good things are happening. Wow, thank you so much. I have so many questions. <laughs> like I made like, a bunch of notes and I really so resonate with, you know, everything that you are sharing. So <clears throat> can you, you said uh, something that working with these plants, it's about learning how to be a human. Can you can you expand on that a little bit and and what was your personal experience because you were in you know the education system and that scientific kind of approach you got that and then you have this other type so what was you know that that the plants added to your understanding that you couldn't get you know through that other framework that you also were immersed in 
Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I, I think that, I mean, the main thing was a shift for me from, um, you know, we're, we're the only conscious beings on the planet. You know, humans are, are where it's at and everything else is just, you know, there. And, you know, and you see that in kind of the mechanistic, the reductionist mindset. Nothing else is alive. Everything is just kind of there to be exploited. And that's, that wasn't necessarily my mindset, but that was the, the, the dominant mindset of that sort of, you know, reductionist viewpoint. And so to realize, like, wait a second, we are a part of this. We are connected to everything. You know, oh, yeah, when I, I can, I can speak to a squirrel quote unquote you know or have a relationship with a squirrel or, or a dog or a crow or you know other, all the other animals that are out there you know and, or the tree there's a big redwood tree growing in my backyard and really just sort of honoring that this big redwood tree houses so many different animals and squirrels and birds and you know insects and all these different types of things and it sits there and it breathes in and out every day and like you know it absorbs the sun and it relates to us you know as beings as well so i think that was a really big part of me um really shifting this more of an animistic mindset to realize that everything is alive and that i'm a part of it you know and so so being a human being on planet earth is both that you know that we are in relationship with the rest of the planet and that will hopefully help us in the long run with not destroying the planet or you know doing all the things that you see out there or littering or you know like i, I don't ever litter anymore ever <laughs> not that i did before much anyway but you know okay you know when i was younger maybe i didn't think about it but now it's like you know i'm really trying to take care of picking up when i'm on the beach all these different types of things because it's all it's it's our home right and i think the second thing is like you know this idea that you know our human experience is only just a, a smidgen of time our spiritual soul experience <laughs> is much much bigger and what are we here to do why are we on this planet because we're learning how to be a human being we're learning how to engage with the earth we're learning how to engage with beings on the earth and that's another thing i think that was really interesting in terms of what is it like to be a human being on this planet you know because because we're not just here for you know 100 years and then you know from my opinion then everything stuffs out and consciousness is gone and it's mm -hmm. over it's like you know we're learning lessons and there's actually a really interesting um one of the uh, uh, transcripts for the, the dissertation work I was doing, somebody was actually looking at it and saying, you know, and he had an interesting, you might appreciate this, an interesting idea about integration. And we're basically saying, you know, we have integration backwards. We're not trying to integrate those experiences here. That's our natural home. That's our soul home. We're actually trying to integrate this experience, the human life, back to the soul home. And so there's this other dynamic that's happening where it really kind of helps us say like, oh, wow, so all the lessons we learn here on this planet, all the things, all the hardships we go through, all the, the blissful moments we go through, these are experiences that we're gathering so that when we go back to our soul home, wherever that might be, if that exists, which I'll assume that it is for the sake of this argument, uh, then we can actually like kind of like have a sense of like, oh, okay, here we are. We're, 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 we learn something about human life. We learn something about why we're here. We, we learn something about what it is to be here in this existence in the 3D plane. And so I think that's another aspect of that sort of conversation about what is it like to be a human being on planet? <laughs> wow, yeah, that that is amazing. I, I had, you know, very similar experience and I think it's interesting how, you know, basically it's kind of the opposite what we are taught, you know, from in school and, uh, you know, somehow it feel it feels to me more natural and more logical. You know, because if we look at you know systems that are in place that were created on this like based on this disconnection, you know, that people experience, those systems are not really sustainable. And as you as you mentioned, you know, when you when you reconnect and we come back to the roots, and on your website, you know, that's that's restoring our roots. You know, that's the main kind of vision statement or something which I really, really love and I, and I experience, you know, personally. It's just we like you don't need a law to say not to poison the river because you know it, you are you understand that you are connected and you are interdependent and you live in this community and there is a relationship and how to keep a healthy relationship for the benefit of all and and i think this is something quite revolutionary that really challenges you know the current systems you know that are based in a completely different assumptions and you know from my perspective as a therapist as a healer you know looking at mental illness mental emotional discomfort or even chronic disease you know allopathic medicine is like 
you know, has, had, that didn't do a lot of success, you know, on this, on this field. And, you know, from this perspective, y it's easy to see why, because it's, it's only treating, you know, on a symptomatic level and looking at human being as a sack of, you know, flesh and bones, you know, and the machine and not considering, you know, these other aspects and the spiritual and the conscious, that we are consciousness and how we are interconnected and so on and so forth. So I, I can definitely see, you know, in healing as well that 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 these two different viewpoints gives us two different framework how we can what we can work with and 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 also um, you know the results are quite different, <laughs> and then it's not difficult to see wow this is maybe a more sustainable model and a more effective model and 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 also as you said it feels natural you know like uh, it, of course my conditioning you know was very much material you know coming from a communist country that has no spirituality at all so um but but when i expanded you know into these other worlds other dimensions and into the realm of consciousness i just felt that makes so much sense you know that actually that's logical that's understandable for me it's just you know it, it, it does feel that that is my natural kind of orientation and that's something you know the other framework was something that was imposed and it was like constricting you know me as a human being and also you know, just us as a collective, I think. So I, I, I really um, appreciate that. And, you know, I think, I don't know who, who, who I think um, Graham Hancock was saying, you know, that he has this meme that he has the shaman, you know, what is the, what is the, the cause of disease and, and, and problems in the West? And the shaman said this is from our, the, the disconnection from spirit, which is, you know, from the disconnection from our true nature and, you know, the consciousness who we are. And, and, and I quite agree with that, I think, you know, that this disconnection and, and, and the, the solution then is reconnection and is that type of integration and bringing things together not just on the material level that as you said community in in you know shamanic practices shamanic healing healing happens in a community in a community not a one-on-one -on -one you go secretly to a therapist and you never talk about it because you are stigmatized you know that you are crazy but it is happens and that has you know like just such huge power you know and as you said you know people are looking for these communities sometimes just listening to somebody's stories with not even offering any advice or any insight just being witnessed and listened without judgment can be very healing and and you know simple things that 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 happen in this realm so I'm super excited you know that this second um, kind of renaissance um, psychedelic renaissance is happening and I hope that it will turn out much better than in the 60s when it just ended up you know in a big government shutdown and we're not gonna go into that you know what were the reasons for that and why certain powers yeah. are not yeah, <laughs> we've done a lot of, I think a lot of maturing since that time too but we're also in the same sort of scenario and you, you touched on a little bit of, a bit ago about this you know why do why 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 is the mainstream dominant sort of approach to disconnect us from spirit because it's easier to control you at that point in time without yeah. sounding too dystopic about things it's like when you when you're disconnected to spirit you're looking for something else you know whether it be i'm depressed i need a pharmaceutical to help me feel better or okay here's this government and they're they're going to be able if i if i just honor them then everything will be okay but when, when you have a direct connection to spirit and to the sacred and you see that you're a being and you see all the beings around you and you sort of relate to nature and relate to the environment in a different way it's really hard because now you're sort of you, you're you've got your center you know and you're centered here now and then it's like it's hard to push you off of that center right and so this is all part of the process of, of our sort of re reawakening if you will um you know there's uh there's an interesting quote from richard doyle out of penn state university who says i don't actually like the term psychedelic renaissance because renaissance means beginning anew and it never stopped it just went on right <laughs> Right. that's it's true around and now it's, it's having the opportunity to fruit again so just like yeah. the legal network it's kind of underneath the underground it's been doing the work it's been doing the work and now the conditions are right yeah and now everyone's able to show the fruits and those different types of things like the mycelium you know and now it's like the mushrooms are manifesting yeah and i i, I really feel you know that the the one of the big consequence of that disconnection is disempowerment you know, when I see that, especially in healing, you know, that in the pharmaceutical model, people 
totally feel powerless and victimized and give all their power to a doctor to appeal to a standard of procedure or whatever. And, you know, once people start coming back and, and reconnecting to their own power, to their own true self and to, to nature, you know, and through to, to community, to the earth, you know, they, they become more empowered. And that's what the medicine taught me, you know, that I am the healer and I have everything within me, you know, to, to, to create healing, you know, I don't need anything. And obviously that's dangerous for certain people, you know, who, who live on that, you know, the, yeah, you those can make money off of that then, eh? <laughs> Exactly. And, and I think, you know, but, but also that's the beautiful part of it is to, to taking our power back and realizing that we are powerful and we have so much power to create change, not just in our own life and in our own health, but, you know, in our communities and in our collective eventually. And I really feel that the, that the moment is now for sure. <laughs> so uh, I would like to ask you a little bit about if you can talk uh, talk to us about uh, what is the difference between decriminalizing these plants or legalizing these plants because I think a lot of people like myself included not super familiar with what is, is this huge difference between the two right yeah, yeah definitely yeah so <clears throat> so um, you know uh, Carlos who's the chair of, of decriminator often sort of references sort of plants that grow in the garden, right? So you don't have to legalize the tomatoes that grow in your garden because they've never been criminalized. They're just tomatoes that you can grow in your garden, right? And so um, so legalization frameworks and decriminalization frameworks are different in that what we're trying to do with decriminalization is to remove the criminal penalties. Make sure that if somebody's growing mushrooms, they're not gonna get arrested, make sure there's no reason to investigate them, make sure people are um, being in ceremony, that that's totally fine. You know, being community-based practice, that's totally fine. There's no laws now saying that you can go to jail for this. Now, the next step, which is where you see sort of the venture capital companies, the pharmaceutical companies, the people who want to control things, they say now legalize and regulate. What does that mean? It means a government body, a state-controlled entity, now is controlling, regulating your relationship with nature. Now, synthetics, that's a different story. We're not really getting into synthetics because that's, you know, it needs testing and you make sure the lab is good and all that kind of thing. But for nature, do we need to legalize the grass that grows outside? Do we need to legalize the air that we breathe? Do we need to legalize? I mean, <laughs> sometimes it is getting that way. You know, you can't collect rainwater in some places, you know, or these different yeah. whatever. But, um, but that's a whole other topic of conversation. But basically, once you get into legalization, now you're saying, okay, well, we need to make sure that you can only have this amount. Okay, for example, limits. So you can have up to, you know, uh, you know, acceptable amount. But who's first of all? Who's the one? You know, it's the in California, the the SB five one nine. They use the term allowable amount. Who's allowing? Who's 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 got the authority to allow? You know, and it's, they they use this terminology. They flip it instead of saying limits. Saying we're going to give you this is an allowable amount for you to sort of have, and so, um, so, so that that would be a first element of sort of like a legalization or regulation framework, you know, limiting our relationship with nature. Now, we said a lot in sort of our deeper nature sort of um, social media, which is basically like, you know, saying allowable amount or limited amounts is really just a creative way to say when can I arrest you again? Because let's say you have a little gram over that allowable amount, well now you're a criminal. Well, why? Because it's a little bit extra. Like, what's, what's the problem there, right? So, um, so that would be one area. Um, second area that comes into play is that you get a lot of is issues where now, like, well, we have to license everybody. Oh, we have to tax everybody. You know, we saw this. We saw. We were seeing this happen with cannabis. You know, there's a decriminalization model, which was compassion based, which was how do we help heal the community? How do we grow our own? How do we cultivate? That's something that we did, I think, right off the bat, which was really important that cannabis didn't do. Um, is really to emphasize cultivation right off the bat. Because a lot of the, the drug policy out there is only talking about use and possession. So you can have it, you can possess it, but if you grow it, whoa, hold on. Now you're really breaking the law. Now you've really gone over it, right? But if we can say, hey, let's cultivate right away, let's, let's, let's engage in the process of being a part of this natural system, um, that's really important. But, uh, but in cannabis now, for example, in California, you need a license to grow, you need a license to harvest, you need a license to trim, you need a license to transport, you need a license. So by the end of the day, you have, you know, thousands of dollars worth of licenses you need to get just to get from planting the plant to smoking the plant or, you know, for cannabis, right? And so along the way, there's taxes, there's regular, you know, all these things, there's government bodies, there's bureaucracy, 
all that kind of stuff gets in your way of your natural relationship with nature and that, that shouldn't be uh, you know necessary um, if you're going to have a relationship with nature so so really decriminalization and, and, and those models will probably happen those legalization models will happen but oftentimes what happens is legalization happens without decriminalization now you have big companies saying hey that person over there is growing more than their quote-unquote allowable amount what that technically means is hey they're cutting into my market share and i can't make as much money because there's abundance mm -hmm. they try and create the scarcity model so that the only place you can go is through these particular avenues and if you create an abundance model now all of a sudden like they aren't going to make as much money so when you legalize without decriminalization what it basically is doing and you see this a lot with a lot of different things like oh well i'm permitted this person is not permitted now it's not the government going and getting the person that's not permitted it's the neighborhood it's the community it's saying hey i'm permitted and they're not why did i pay all this money go arrest them and so now you've created a, a you know they, they say there's something in the current era it's not the big brother it's all the little brothers and that big brother from 1984 it's not big brother anymore it's yeah. little brother. everyone's everyone's a little brother kind of you know calling each other in and, and getting arrested for that kind of stuff so um so that's a, that's one scenario where you have this sort of this market share that's going to be sort of based on the idea of scarcity and then there's an idea of abundance abundance comes with just having a natural relationship with nature um that type of thing um i think um you know another part of that too is that you know uh we don't you know oftentimes those models of legalization will say well who are our authorities currently who are the people that we can respect and trust in this modern day society well let's give them all the power to make these decisions okay so now you've given it to in this maybe current culture will be the medical or the clinical dynamic but oftentimes they don't really know anything about these medicines they might not have even had an experience themselves yeah. here we have people that have been working in the underground we've had indigenous communities we have bipoc communities in cities across the u.s that have been working with these materials for decades you know not longer you know and so why are we pulling the power away from them when they actually are probably the most prepared you know, Brof actually had a really great quote which is something like you know uh, i'm going to mess up the quote i'm paraphrasing here but Something like, why are we giving the power over to the medical and clinical when by the nature of their license, they can't do things illegal. So they've never probably had an experience. And if you don't have an experience, what what do you know about these experiences? How are you gonna guide somebody on these experiences by having a little bit of a sense? Because it's so different than our, mm. our, our, our current mindset. You know, and so, so really hopefully, and, and you're starting to see this a little bit now with some of the medical and the clinical that they're also saying we need to have the people who are doing the facilitating also have an experience, which I think is a, a good transition. I think there's a lot of things. It's really interesting how psychedelics and anti-aging and plant medicines are, are forcing the mental health paradigm, forcing the clinical and medical paradigm to have to shift. You know, even something as simple as double-blind placebo trials. That's a myth in the medical trials because you know you're having an experience. The doctor who's with you knows you're having it. There's no double blind. It's, it's pretty obvious when that happens. So yet they're basing this as like, well, this is the standard we have to go by, but it's it's, it's false. So yeah. you have to up to like public health research, uh, community-based research, and those different types of things. So so I think within the context of decriminalization and legalization, decriminalization is really just like, let's regain our relationship with nature without a criminal penalty. Legalization is how do we control and regulate this? How do we make money off this? How do we tax it? How do we do all these other things and make sure and that's business licenses and all that kind of thing. Um, you know, down the road, we're actually looking in terms of Oakland and maybe other cities to have a locally based economy. There would be mm. a type of legalization that would happen, but it stays local. You know, so that people know their community members that, you know, the part of the problem with scarcity and abundance, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, I have a facilitator that's a horrible facilitator and, you know, what are they gonna, you know, but in a model of abundance, that's not necessarily going to happen because people will know about those people. There's going to be word of mouth. You know, with scarcity, it's like there's three people to go to. Two of them are horrible, but those are only three people. So you're going to have to go with those two people, right? And so you're going to get into situations where you're going to have a facilitator who might not be, um, you know, what do they call quote unquote a bad actor or something like that. It might be a bad actor. Um, but uh, but if you have this abundance model, then people can really engage and really learn what, what works best for them. And maybe even, you know, these three people are great. For this person over here, they need a fourth person who really just kind of aligns with what they're doing, what their sort of essence is. So, um, so our hope is really to decriminalize first, knowing those other things are going to happen, allow the community to be empowered, to allow the community to educate the local other communities and that type of thing about what's going on, and then move forward in a sacred way that isn't so controlled by the state or so so um, 
corporate or commodified, that type of thing. Yeah, definitely. I, I saw, you know, so much in resonance with that. And, and I, I find, you know, that one of my major problems with legalization is exactly what you said, that the people and the authority who is creating the regulation, they have no experience. So, you know, they are coming from a very limited mental perspective, trying to regulate consciousness. Stuff. Like, I mean, how can you regulate from a small, you know, perspective something that is infinite? It's impossible. You know, it's not going to be, it's the whole idea is just impossible for me. But here is a good question that I, I get asked a lot and I would like to, to know your perspective that what, what, what would you say to people who come and say, okay, well, you know, it's okay to have marijuana or grow marijuana or mushrooms, but not iboga or ayahuasca because they are so much more powerful therefore so much more dangerous and that should be regulation on that or limitation on that so what is your perspective on this i would say i'm in i'm in agreement that um things like iboga things like ayahuasca should have somebody that's a trained facilitator but you know those practices are being done right now without regulation they've been done for hundreds and maybe more longer time without regulation you know and so and the regulation yeah. comes from the training you know and, that, and that's if you want to call it that you know like somebody's going to do the hours of the work to be able to sit with somebody in ceremony do the healing learn the ikaros learn how to do sopados learn how to do back with smoke you know, you know all the kind of things that come in part of the ceremony people are already learning that and you know and so um so you don't need to necessarily regulate that now uh, i know there's i don't know if you ever heard of the ethnobotanical stewardship council they got in trouble like about 10, 15 years ago because they wanted to go through and say, okay, well, let's regulate ayahuascaros and we're going to give a stamp of approval. And there's like this, you know, this group out of New York City and it's like, well, what do they know about healing properties or how people are working with techniques or whatever else? So, so I think that also becomes problematic because again, you have a Western system, which is trying to regulate, which has traditionally been done by indigenous cultures across the world. And there's again, this split between paradigms about why is it that this is done this way? Well, that's, that's just, oh, you know, spiritual woo-woo talk and we can't yeah. do that. But like, no, it's actually a technique that's been developed over many years. It's not, it's not, you know, again, that's that idea of science. Well, science is only science if it's double-blind placebo trial. Well, no, science is observational. Science is what works over time. Science is what techniques have been valuable and effective. And I think that's also this loss because, you know, that type of science means that anyone you can be citizen scientists. We don't need to have, you know, a PhD. We don't need to have an MD. We don't need to have all these other things and write in certain ways. We can do observational studies and those different types of things. So I think in terms of that, I would agree that there's higher levels of medicine, higher levels of acuity, you know, also in terms of certain types of mental health conditions, I would say that it would help if somebody goes to somebody that knows, you know, both the Western model of like, for example, Ibogaine for opioid addiction. So you're probably going to want to know, have somebody that really knows that scenario about uh you know opioid addiction or substance use issues and also knows the scenario of iboga and, and how to work with that um so and but i think you know the idea is again as you say we're building culture here is to have that dialogue with indigenous cultures that are working with you know the buiti for example why why are these songs done this way what is it about the ancestors you know with the shipibo why are these songs done this way what, what's about the different plant diets and all these other types of things that are happening you know what what's the bigger holistic understanding of healing that isn't just like here it is see in a little bit you'll be cured you'll be all fine yeah. so hopefully um hopefully that you know and that's again part of what we really talk about a lot is like really trying to bring in these other conversations to bring in these other wisdom figures to be able to share about what is valuable what is effective now of course i also understand that there's this resistance to sharing because the western world has taken so much take 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 you know like you know go down to the jungle the pharmaceutical companies extract all the medicines from the trees and the plants and then they take it and make tons of money off and all that kind of thing so i understand there's also going to be a process here as we sort of learn together but i think that's really important as we move forward and hopefully more people will be trained in good ways and more people will be able to engage in ceremony and have facilitators that are you know professional quote unquote you know doing good work um, but uh, but not necessarily to say, hey, everybody go do ayahuasca, everyone do iboga. Uh, yeah. On the other side too, though, you know, a lot of those folks, you know, back in the day when ayahuasca wasn't familiar, you know, like 
that's how they learned is by just themselves, <laughs> right? You know, uh, yeah. we hear a lot about uh, by fire. <laughs> okay, exactly. Yeah, and so you know, uh, I read reading this really interesting um, article in the ethnopharmacology book. Um, I forgot the name of the author, but. Uh, you know, we have the Jeremy Narby and kind of the traditional mindset of like, oh, well, you know, the ayahuasca told me that the plants told them to add these two different, the chipruna and the tapu right. together to make the ayahuasca brew. Uh, this other theory is actually pretty interesting too, which is basically saying that it came from interactions between tribal traditions that sort of rubbed together. And so maybe somebody was chewing a tapu vine and maybe somebody else was doing an antina, you know, the antisna. And all of a sudden they are like, wow, if you put these two together, it really modulates this DMT. And so there's this sort of constant exploration, like I said, citizen citizen science, if you will, you know, where people are sort of saying, hey, well, this is something that's from my tradition. This is something from your tradition. If we put these together, we really have this other experience. And so, um, and, and, you know, ayahuasca is one of potentially 4,000 combinations of DMT and MAOI plants. <laughs> the world. You know, and that's pretty amazing too, to think about. We have a lot to learn, you know, what about, you know, from the perspective of, of both what do these plants do, but also what are the spirits? You know, what is the spirit of an acacia and a Syrian rue? What is the spirit of, you know, a DMT plant and an, an MAOI plant when they, they're not from sort of the jungle of the Amazon, but maybe they're from, you know, um, you know, Southeast Asia, or maybe they're from Northern California or wherever else. And like, are there new spirits? Are there new conversations that need to be had? Are there new techniques that need to be learned? There's a lot of really fascinating things that we still have to learn, but we just don't even know what the plants are that exist outside. You know, even in um, in the Bay Area here, we talk a lot about, you know, obviously uh, iboga is something that is, is, you know, has sustainability issues because it's the root of the plant. So you have to like pull it up to get the root and that's what you're working with. But here in the Bay Area, we have star jasmine and it grows everywhere and that has iboga in it. And landscaping trucks cut it all down and they put it in landscaping truck and they throw it away. It's like nobody even knows what's around, right? right? And so we're just yeah. totally oblivious to all the different <laughs> gifts that are around us all the time. So so we have a lot of work to do, um, but I think bringing in those voices is really important. Um, learning together is really important, but also for us all to understand that we don't know everything and that we're going to learn and we're going to stumble mm. and you know, things will happen and that type of thing. But that's part of the process as we grow. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, just to, to returning to you know regulation versus education like I, I believe you know that one of our biggest resources education and that's one of your focus points as well as you read on your website is to you know community and and education because um you know we we know so little especially in the west you know from this limited mindset and disconnected from these spiritual realities like I know from my own example, you know, coming from that background and then coming to a space when I could expand my awareness and understand, you know, what does it mean that the, the shaman is praying over the ayahuasca when they are cooking it, when they ask the permission of the plant, when they are taking it, you know, from nature and that, you know, when before they serve it, they talk, you know, to the brew. And so there are all these invisible things that are not visible, not measurable with mechanical, you know, material instruments, but have a huge significance, but we do not even understand because simply our framework and our viewpoint doesn't allow for that understanding yet, you know, until we go beyond. And, and I think it's just, you know, uh, experiences and education, you know, that is really important. and. You know, when I stayed, I, I was lucky to stay with indigenous people, not just, you know, down in Peru, but with the Maoris in New Zealand and, you know, some kahunas in Hawaii. So that was an awesome experience. Um, and my experience was that when you have a community where, where these conversations are allowed and these, these traditions are alive, you know, and be, being practiced, you know, for hundreds and thousands of years, then people know who is a a brujo, you know, a witch and a dark medicine and who is a real hero and who is like, they don't need a certification or a government stamp to say, hey, this person is not in integrity, you know, or is abusing his power because it's in the community and the community will know as you know in the West that, hey, don't go to that doctor, <laughs> you know, because they are not the best. Go to this doctor. He is really, really good in what he is doing, you know. So I think to allow conversation and to allow the community to actively participate 
participate that is crucial because the community is the regulator you know when one person you know and we can see that now in the west you know how all these allegations uh, around not just shamans but yoga teachers and all these you know come out with about sexual abuse and things like that Even you know, practitioners. that's the thing too is it's like you know the the medical practitioners talk a lot about these other communities but yeah. and acknowledge like oh wait this is also happening with the licensed mds you know? oh absolutely yeah. and and you know I, I think that the big part of the problem that is hidden and it's secret you know once we start talking about it and 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 people have that in their awareness and people interact with each other and that conversation is permitted you know that becomes self-regulatory because the community will push out these people and, and nobody will go there <laughs> you know nobody will go to those ceremonies or to those shamans or to these healers or doctors who have a bad reputation and I think you know what what you mentioned as well what works over time you know when people ask me you know how to choose you know a retreat center or a shaman or something I, I always say you know look at their reputation look at what they already did look at their clients ask references you know that who you can talk to who been you know in these places who work with these people and see how they are and what was their experience because I think that's the ultimate kind of measurement of, of, of okay we don't understand how the techniques exactly are maybe but we know that there are results you know there are positive results all these people came out better and healed and you know are happier and healthier and more connected so there are definitely I think points that we can measure you know even with plant medicine and, and the ayahuasca in my practice you know when I talk about integration and people say what is integration and what does that mean that you are integrated versus you didn't integrate the experience and I always say well, look at your life and, and, and see how how did your life change how did your relationships change how your perspective priorities ethics and value change you know if nothing changed you you are not you didn't do the integration you you still need integration if you did the integration you will see a fundamental shift in your being in your relating to yourself to other people to nature to the earth and that will be like something evident and also measurable because your behavior will be different you know that is something that we can we can actually kind of measure and point out that is you know not in the spiritual and the energetic realm but you know all, all in the physical space as well and um, you know uh, also i really relate to what you said about constant exploration and for me that's the 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 evolution of consciousness you know it's never ending process so I feel, you know, that with the regulation and, and that system is so rigid, you know, that locks the, the, the evolution, it like freezes it, you know, and it doesn't allow for that exploration and for that sharing and for that continuous evolution. And I, I, I know that, you know, myself, I am always learning, you know, like I'm always a student and a teacher at the same time. There are people who come to me for guidance because I have something that I can share with them. And also there are people who I go to to learn more and to um, so I think, you know, that that any, you know, kind of people who are resonating with that and, and walking this path, you know, they are in that continuous exploration themselves. And, and therefore, the whole system is continuously evolving and changing. And uh, yeah, and, and another thing that I wanted to relate to is this, um, what I call, you know, bridging, you know, this huge gap, because for me, it was a huge gap coming from a totally material communist indoctrination to like shamanic realities, you know, and that, like it was just like, wow, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and bringing that together within myself so I don't lose my sanity, obviously. And, and, and I think that's what we are talking about here as well. To, to, it's not to discard, you know, allopathic medicine or Western framework at all. And, and, and just want to let our audience know that we are not talking against things. We are saying that there are more things that we can add and that can make everything richer and, and more wholesome and more beneficial, you know, to 
the whole collective. And that's necessary that we create these bridges where we can bring in all sides, you know, to the same table and we can learn from each other and listen to each other. And, and that's something, you know, that I don't see in the legalization. And that's it's like, as you said, these people, you know, very removed and disconnected from these other realities where the tradition is coming from and was practiced for thousands of years, you know. So I, the, the reason I went to, to shamanic practices because I, I, I uh, researched on the internet and I found out that that's the oldest healing modality, shamanic healing. It's like more than 100,000 years old. And then comes Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine, couple of thousand. And then Western allopathic medicine, like 400 years old. So I was like, I want to know what is that tradition that survived, you know, 100,000 years despite of, you know, consciously trying to wipe it out all over the earth and still works, you know, because otherwise it wouldn't have survived. So that was something that fascinated for me. And I think that um, we have to put our ego and our arrogance, you know, to the side in this matter, because I think sometimes in the West we think, oh, we, f we are so advanced and we know everything and we are above all these people. But if you look at it from another perspective, it's, it's really not the case, you know, and we really have to kind of like humble ourselves and say, no, um, you know, one of my journeys, the, the spirit of the medicine said that, you know, the, the mystery is infinite and I only showed you this much and I had this mind-blowing experience and then she said, you, you only seen this much and that was, I, I just always remember that moment that, that keeps me in that humility that, you know, my ego wants to go there. Now I figured it out. Now I figured it out. And it's like, no, 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 we probably never going to figure it out. And the best that I can do is continue to explore. And I think that humility, I think, is really important because I wouldn't, you know, I, I've, I've heard of a few pe people doing there, a few places doing this, which is like a treatment model where you have an allopathic doctor, where you have a naturopath, where you have Chinese medicine, where you have a body worker, where you have, and everyone says, okay, this is the thing that this person's working on. And then it's like, you hear people say, at least in the studies that I saw, or the, the, the story that I saw, people are like talking about the same ways to heal the person but in their own kind of language and so like imagine if like all those folks came together in humility and said okay let's learn together from our own sort of understanding of what the body and the system processes and everything like that and then and then learning from each other be like oh we're both talking about this but in my language it's this thing you know language of profession right in my language of profession it's this thing oh wait actually we are talking about the same thing in a lot of ways you know and it's not you know, something that's far removed from what we're doing. But I think that's going to take a little bit of work. And again, hopefully this area of study will help with that because we're able to open up to these bigger dialogues, you know. And you also talked about something a little bit earlier about uh, integration, which I think was interesting. It's something I touched on in my dissertation because um, I realized talking about integration, we have to, like, I like to at least try and expand it. So there's integration and then there's implementation. And oh, kind of like separate <laughs> those out just a little bit just a little bit, right, to tease them out, because integration could be the process of understanding, right? And implementation is taking those actions and putting them to, to use. That's where the behavioral change comes in, right? Because sometimes, you know, as you hear from many people, like, oh, I had this experience where I have to quit my job and break up with my relationship, and they do it the next day, and they're like, oh, hold on, slow down, let's, let's make meaning of that before we go ahead and shift yeah. everything pretty dramatically. And so, and so I, I think also as we sort of explore and understand integration a little bit more, we can sort of see that there's a lot more pieces to it. You know, there is a process of how do we make meaning? There is a process of implementing. There's probably a coaching process that happens, has to happen in the middle of that, right? Because it's like, I had this insight, I need to heal this relationship with so-and-so. That's really hard. I don't think I can do my homework assignment. And then you keep going back to your ayahuasca experiences and you keep seeing that same thing over and over that you're visiting, you're visiting, you're visiting because you can't take that next step to that implementation stage of like, how do I actually make that happen, right? Yeah. And so I think that's also a really, um, as we sort of learn about integration, we can also sort of start to understand and unpack, you know, that so that, because sometimes people are like, well, I haven't, I haven't fully integrated yet. And then it's like, well, that's, that's okay. Because, you know, sometimes those messages are embedded pretty deep. And there's this idea of symbolic latency, which is the idea that like, sometimes, you know, you have a download and it's in your brain, it's in your head, and you don't know what it means. And then like three years later, you've learned enough and you have this insight and boom, that thing sprouts up and you're like, oh, that's what I was, that's what that lesson was from three years ago, but I, I didn't really know it until now. And so there's also this process of sort of like allowing 
you know, do your integration, find things that you can do to help shift things immediately, you know, change, make those behavioral changes and things like that, but also allow for some of those to just kind of you know, simmer for some time. Yeah. Uh, and then allow for that sort of opportunity for, for life growth to happen and to revisit some of those lessons again, you know, like we're always seeing the same thing on a spiral, you know, okay. Oh like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I know. So, what yeah, you mean. So, yeah. So, so I think that the whole conversation about it, we, we're learning a lot about that too. And, you know, I mean, I think the integration thing is interesting too, because within, you know, there's a lot of sort of um, debate around, you know, integration within, you know, indigenous cultures, for example. And it's actually integration seems to be more of a Western thing because we're so far removed from these experiences there. Absolutely. It's like, it's part of the cosmology. So Absolutely. yeah, you saw the spirit. Oh yeah, of course you saw a spirit here. It was like, I saw a spirit. Oh. You know, like what's going Absolutely. on? Absolutely. I, I had the same, um, you know, realization because I was like, why the Shipibos never told me about the integration. And then later I realized that they don't need integration because they are in the context. That's the integration. They are in the environment. They are in the community. The plant master lives there. The shaman lives there. They have that understanding of this tradition, the the, the history, you know, and everything. And 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 what happens with us that we go and take the plant out of the context, and we bring it into our own context that is completely different. You know, that's why we need the integration. You know, the the shipibos don't need it. You know, they are in the integration and the context. Life, life, lifelong integration, right? Yeah, yeah, totally, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm so so glad to have this conversation, and I would definitely. Uh, would like to you know come back to this space you know because i think that there is more to discuss so we're going to do more episodes but f just for today just to to leave this audience with something what would be some message that you would like to put out right now into the world sure um so many right so uh, <laughs> i think i think first and foremost if um you know i mean we are in this sort of this this shift moment right now right um, where, you know, we are learning about plant medicines, we are learning about the sacred, we are learning about how these can help, we're learning about our connection to our own ancestry, as you said, restoring our roots, these types of things. Um, but we need everyone's support to really reach out to their own community members, help to bring, you know, this good education to them. Don't be afraid to like sort of, you know, step out of the, the entheogenic or plant medicine closet, because I think a lot of people need to know like, oh, wait, I know this person and they're doing great with their life. And it turns out that plant medicine helped them. Um, so, so that, so education, educating our fellow community members, reaching out necessarily of our, our bubble community and start talking to people on the outside of that to really help them understand, um, if they want to, um, you know, do anything in terms of decriminalization, uh, we are helping people in cities across the U S so please contact us at decriminalizednature.org. I'm sure you'll have some of these in the notes or see us on Instagram at decriminalize nature. Um, we can help you uh, do that as well. And, um, you know, don't be concerned. I, I had never done any public policy before I started decriminalized nature. And now mm -hmm. here we are doing all this great work. Most of the people that are in these cities have never done public policy at all ever before. But really just seeing the community members of the city council as members of the community, wanting to educate them. And I've been amazed with how many city council members have been like either A, oh yeah, I, I know somebody that's had a profound experience that was healing. I've had experiences of my own. My, my grandfather or grandmother was a curandera, like all these different elements, you know? So sometimes they're just waiting to be asked, really, you know? So just so just get out there and engage with them. And, and all of a sudden you can have this really great conversation with them about the educational arts, me up the healing potentials of, of entheogenic plants and fungi. And, and next thing you know, you're, you're making change in your own community. And I think that ripple effect, then when you have your city council members, the authority of that sort of community is saying, hey, these are beneficial for healing that reaches a lot more people. You know, we can talk one-on-one, -on -one, that's great too, but if we can educate, you know, five to 10 people on a city council to get them to shift their ideas about it, it really ripples out into the community in a good way. And I think then that would be kind of the second point and then continue to build local support structures. So if you are in a community, you know, hold some peer integration circles, you know, find ways to get people to connect, throw an educational event, you know, maybe not everyone is gonna be uh, available or open to do that, but you know, but the more and more of that we do, the more and more support structures there are, uh, in the long run, it's really going to help us a lot because we don't have to move so far in terms of, oh, now we got to hustle and do all this work. You know, it's like start building that now, do it subtly, do it slowly, you know, kind of like connect with your community and that type of thing. And we can make good change happen out there. So 
that would be the things I would say. Uh, my other organization, if you want to learn anything about integration as well, I'd love to chat with you more, maybe a whole topic yeah. on integration. I think that'd be fun. Uh, check out Erie Vision or Entheogenic Research Integration Education at erievision.org uh, or on our Instagram at erievision. Um, and outside of that, uh, it's been a really wonderful conversation with you. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Larry. We're going to include all those links for, for the websites and availabilities in your short bio in the description for sure. And definitely, we're going to do another one of diving more into the integration because, you know, that's one of my passion projects. But what I'm hearing you say is really just be the change that you want to see in the world, you know, and do something, however small, you know, however little action that you can contribute to, to that brings us towards, you know, that world that we envision to live in. and, and and our children and and the next generation to live in so i really resonate with that and thank you so much for this conversation and uh, check out my website avatarhealingarts.com and in the links you find my book and you know podcast and other resources and free content that i'm putting out there you know to help with the education part and share my experience and also we're gonna do on clubhouse if you are on clubhouse on the 29th of september which is uh, I, I assume it's a Wednesday. We're going to do a room about the dark side of plant medicines when we're going to dive into a little bit the abuse of, you know, power in these circles that all, all, also sometimes, you know, happens. And, and, you know, some people have a very idealistic view of shamans and, you know, the, 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 um, the indigenous people just in general. So just bringing more awareness of you know, the nature of duality that is, is, is being presented, you know, in any space and any circle and any kind of framework or structure so we can navigate and keep ourselves safe and, and have the best experiences that the most healing and the most awakening for all of us. So join us for that. We're going to include the link. And uh, remember that we are the healers and love is the medicine. And I hope to see you next time and sending lots of love to you all. Thank you for listening.